0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nick, and welcome to all of you. Uh, welcome to those of you, as Pastor Tim already uh, mentioned, if you are here for, uh, to support those uh, as family and friends of those who are being baptized, uh, welcome. Uh, this is uh, such an important day for them, and uh, it's also so great when uh, those who are being baptized are being supported uh, by their family and friends. And I hope you've already been warmly welcomed and received. And if uh, you're uh, just new to fellowship, maybe this is your first time or uh, you've been here just the last few weeks, again, we want to make sure that you're also feeling very welcomed here. And as we continue in our service, uh, we're moving um, into the time of preaching and uh, teaching the Word of God, which is a very important part of why we gather as a church. It's not just something we do traditionally. Um, or, as a ritual, but we do it because uh, we believe that the scripture uh, tells us to do this when we gather in christ 's name and i 've been preaching through a series in the book of Acts. you just heard some scripture from that, and i 'll be breaking that passage down as we move forward but today we 're going to be learning more about the first believers um, who were referred to as Christians, and that you know that term is very popular now, but this is a reference in the Bible to the first first time that believers were referred to as Christians and they were the Antioch Christians. Again, we're very familiar with that term today, but it started here in Acts uh, 11 and again in the city of Antioch and And names and nicknames are are, are kind of like that. Uh, Before they ever become common and just uh, stay with us, at some point, somewhere they they had a beginning they you know they had somewhere where, where it all started and and just to give you an example of that if i if i take the word uh, quakers and uh, that's a that's a familiar term probably for you that the group of people and i asked you where did that term originate well it came about because of george fox who was the founder of the society of friends in england and um, in 1650, uh, Justice Bennett of Derby referred to Fox and his followers, this, this society, he referred to them as Quakers. And it stuck until and, and to, to even uh, today. But, but why did he say it? Well, he said it because Fox and his followers had told people to tremble at the word of God. And so that, that term was a reference to the fact that, that he was telling others to tremble at the word of God. And it was meant to be derogatory. It wasn't a positive thing. And it stuck. And, and that's kind of what happens, even maybe for you, if you have a nickname. And maybe you don't even like it, but it's kind of stuck because people use it over time. And, and that's kind of what happened here with the term Christian. And and today we're going to study that passage and it tells us how this happened, how it happened. And it really is a fascinating and very powerful story, what we're going to be studying today. And it's one that also reveals just the sovereign plan of God. It's one of the themes that we've been learning about in the book of Acts is just the sovereign hand and plan of God. And Luke does such a great job. He's the author of this book, does such a great job of telling us about that. So let's pray together and ask God to bless this time. And I'm going to pray in a very specific way. I'm going to pray and ask God to, uh, to help all of you here today understand and hear what it is that he has for you today. So I'm going to be praying for you as well. So would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we do humble ourselves before you. We thank you for your word. We believe this is more than just an ancient text. It is the very word of God and it has authority over us. And we recognize that, so we submit to that. We ask you to speak to us through your word, and I pray for every person that is here. I don't know them, but you do. You know them by name, and I pray that uh, you would give them ears to hear and a heart to understand not what I have to say, but what it is that you have to say to them. And that would be done through the preaching, the faithful preaching and teaching of your word. We thank you, God, that you work in this way and that you are faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. So so last week, as we were studying through this book, we left off in the story. This is kind of a, a narrative that Luke is writing in the book of Acts. And we left off with Peter, the apostle. He was reporting Uh, to the church in Jerusalem. He had went to Jerusalem. He reported to the church there what happened in Caesarea. And we're going to pick up now in verse 19 of chapter 11. And and so you've already heard the, the passage read. And the first thing we see is that the persecuted believers scatter and spread the gospel. And so Luke, again, is our writer. And there's very specific things he's telling us. And there's other things he's not telling us. So we know that, right? we we understand that and the things he's telling us are important he wants us to know them and so he begins by telling us about believers who scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Remember the story of Stephen? We studied that in chapter eight and uh, he, he was stoned to death because of his witness and believers got, you know, started to scatter out of that area because of the persecution. And what Luke is telling us is that they scattered and went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And I have some maps that I'll be showing you throughout the message today, and it's important. See, the thing about the Bible and Scripture is that it it very much relates to all of us, and, and it even relates geographically. And I want you to understand what's happening here, and so does Luke. That's why he's mentioning these places. And so Phoenicia was located along the coast and the islands of, of what is modern day Lebanon and Cyprus is an island in the Eastern Mediterranean. So we're not talking about made up places. These are real places and Antioch, which is in modern day Turkey at the time of Luke's writing. It was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world. And so this is the time of, of, the, of the Greco-Roman empire and, and only behind the city of Rome and Alexandria. So Antioch is a pretty big major city. It was a large city with up to 500,000 people in population. So this wasn't a small little town. And it was also the capital of Syria. Syria. It was 300 miles north of Jerusalem, so it wasn't super close. That's not even close by our standards today. It was 30 miles east of the sea, Mediterranean, and then it lay on the Orontes River, which is really what it was known for, being by this river. And the city was very, very diverse. Uh, it It was filled with Greeks and Romans and Syrians and Phoenicians, Jews, Arabs, Egyptians, Africans, Indians, Asians, they all populated this city, very diverse city. Religiously, it was a pagan city. It was an idolatrous and sexually immoral place. The temple in the city of Daphne, which was only about five miles away from Antioch, had very wicked, immoral pagan practices that took place there. They had temple priestesses that would engage in prostitution as part of their pagan worship. So there'd be something they'd call worship, but it would be filled with immorality and wickedness. And and so what Luke is telling us is, is believers running or getting away from persecution ended up in this city. Now I want you to notice what he says in verse 19. Who the scattered believers spoke the word or the gospel to? Who did they speak the gospel to? Speaking the word to no one except Jews. So Luke is making this very clear to us that the majority of these believers that scattered, they're not telling everybody about Jesus and the gospel, but they are telling Jews and there's a reason for this. We sh- uh, for those of us who've been going through this book, we should understand it. It's because they didn't yet know about the gospel going to the Gentiles. What, what we learned about, what, what happened with Peter and, and, and Caesarea. So they only spread it to the Jews because they, they did what they knew to do. They, they did what they understood to do at the time. Now notice verse 20. But there were some of them. There were some of them. He's distinguishing now from the ones who were speaking only to the Jews. There were some of them. Who were they? Well, men of Cyprus and men of Cyrene. Now, let's be clear here. Let's not just run over that. Let's be clear where these men are from. There's something very unique about the way that Luke writes this. He is more concerned with telling us where they are from than he is in telling us who they are. We don't know their names. So Cyprus, again, is an island in the Mediterranean Sea, south of Turkey, west of Israel, north of Africa, and it has influences from each. It's, it, it, this, even today, Cyprus is very much influenced culturally, differently from where it belongs uh, as, uh, in terms of, of the continent it belongs to. It's, it's just a very diverse kind of place. Cyrene is the northern tip of Africa, as you can see there on the map. So, follow me on this. What what Luke is telling us is somehow, somehow, men from northern Africa and men from an island in the Mediterranean Sea end up in this city of Antioch. And what are they doing? They're preaching the gospel to the Greeks. Antioch, which means they're preaching in Greek. They're 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 talking in Greek, and they're showing just how far this Greco-Roman Empire spread. And so what we have here is something very unique happening in the book of Acts, and again, Luke is being very intentional to tell us this. We have Gentiles preaching the gospel to Gentiles. This is a first. Not maybe the first time a Gentile has ever talked about Jesus to another Gentile, but happening in this way. Remember what happened before? We had, we had Peter being brought down from Joppa to go to Caesarea. We had Philip going to Samaria in Acts chapter 8. Right Now we have some guys from northern Africa and an island in the middle of the Mediterranean going into this Gentile city. And they're telling these Greeks about Jesus Luke wants us to, wants us to know that they're unnamed, but they're pioneers. They're pioneer evangelists really. And they're preaching the gospel to the Greeks in Antioch. Antioch is being evangelized and it's not being evangelized by the apostles, but lay people, ordinary Christians sharing their faith sharing the truth about Jesus. Now listen, let's see what else he has for us here. What was their message? What was the message these guys were bringing? What would guys from North Africa and guys from an island in the Mediterranean, what do they really know about the gospel? How much could they really understand about the gospel? What has really been taught to them? Well, here's what their message was. Their message was Jesus is Lord. That's pretty interesting, right? Pretty basic. Basic. Right? Jesus is Lord. Preaching the Lord Jesus in verse 20, Luke tells us. And, and, and notice this is, not, this is not the message of Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ is Jesus is the Messiah, which would really be connected more to Israel. Israel's promised Messiah. Well, why is that? Well, because they're talking to Greeks in Antioch, not Jews in Jerusalem. And so their message is, hey, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of the nations. This very diverse city. Yes, Jesus is Lord over all of us too. Over the Romans and the Syrians and the Phoenicians and the Greeks and the Africans. And then Luke tells us that God was with them. The hand of the Lord is with them. And that hand of the Lord is with them is evidenced by something. A great number of Gentiles believed the gospel, and what did they do? They turned to the Lord, verse 21. What does turn to the Lord? Well, it indicates that they turned from something to something, right? They turned from pagan ways to Jesus, to the gospel. So let's continue on. What do we see next? Well, I, I'm calling this section here, Ecclesiastical Accountability. And, and that word really, uh, it, it just simply means of the church. Ecclesiastical means it's of the church. It, it flows from the church. And we see this in verses 22 through 24. And I'll explain what I mean by this. So the church in Jerusalem now, Luke shifts back to Jerusalem. And he says, okay, the church in Jerusalem hears about large numbers of Gentiles in Antioch believing the gospel. So they're going, what, what, what's going on? What, what are we hearing? Yeah, I'm hearing some, you know, I don't know how much time that took or how word got back because they weren't texting each other, you know, this or posting it on social media. They were, they were somehow traveling and word was spreading and being the leaders that God has called them to be. We need to understand this as a church, This is good ecclesiology is what we would call it study of the church being the leaders that God had called these Jerusalem church leaders to be they went to investigate. And they didn't do it because they were looking to control everything that's going on. They had a responsibility before God to be, to be the protectors or the gatekeepers of the gospel. And they knew that. And they heard about believers in Antioch believing. And they're like, we know nothing about it. Peter's probably like, what apostle is there? Oh, Philip's over here in Samaria. We think Saul's probably still in Tarsus. We know I'm here, you're here, John's here. What? Who's there? Who's doing this? We got to find out. And so they send Barnabas to Antioch to find out what's going on there. You notice there's no visions this time, right? We don't, there, there's no, no apostle has a vision. There's no sheet dropping. Uh, there's nothing like that. There's just a report that many Gentiles in Antioch are believing the gospel. And the, and the, and the apostles are going, how is this happening? No apostles are there. What's going on? Let's find out. So they send Barnabas to find out, and they want him to report back to the church in Jerusalem. And again, the church in Jerusalem is doing what they should be doing. They're guarding the integrity of the gospel. They understand that it's important that if something is going to be attributed to the work of God, it needs to be the work of God. Because that would be evil and wrong to attribute something to be of God when it's not of God. Amen? So Barnabas is the right guy because we've already learned from Luke that he's a native of Cyprus. So he probably knows he can mix well with these people. We uh, we last saw uh, Barnabas in Acts 9 when he defended uh, Saul to the apostles in Jerusalem and the apostles trust Barnabas. And so again, Luke tells us about the character of Barnabas in verse 24. He says he's a good man. He's full of the spirit. He's full of faith. And then, what happened when Barnabas arrives in Antioch? And you kind of saw before with that map how far he had he had to go. Well, he gets there in Antioch. What does he see? He, he sees the grace of God on the Gentiles. He's seeing God's grace. On these Gentile believers, on these, on these Romans and Phoenicians and, and all different kinds of people. And he's seeing God's grace on them. He's glad. He was glad. He was thrilled to see this work of God happening. And he exhorted the believers in Antioch. He exhorted them. What did he exhort them to do? To remain faithful to the Lord. Remain faithful to the Lord. And so so you have this apostle coming from uh, from Jerusalem. He's seeing the grace of God. He's excited and he's exhorting them. Notice the end of verse 24. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So again, Luke is telling us many Gentiles are believing the gospel. The hand of the Lord is with them. What happens next? Well, next we see intentional discipleship. We see that in verses 25 and 26. So Luke tells us that after so many are coming to faith in Christ, in this pagan city, remember it's a very pagan city, Barnabas realizes that he needs some help. He's like, there's a lot of people coming to faith here and they're all new believers. They're coming out of pagan ways and he's probably being faced with, I can't do this myself. I can't, I can't disciple all these people on my own. I can't do it by myself. So, so Barnabas, he, he, he thinks probably the spirit of God reveals to him, you know what? You should probably go and get Saul. They've worked together before. So Barnabas goes to Tarsus to find Saul. We, again, we last heard from him in Acts nine, several years have passed since then And Luke tells us that Barnabas looked for Saul. The word that he uses there in the Greek suggests that it was a little bit more of a search, you know, than than just kind of walking into the city and and there was Saul right when he walked in. He he has to search for him. He finds him. He tells Saul, hey, there's some stuff going on in Antioch. People are believing. Gentiles are believing. People are turning to the Lord. I need some help. Let's come back with me and let's, let's help these new believers. Let's do this. We can, we can do it together. So they get back to Antioch and Luke tells us in verse 26 that they spent a year. They spent a year meeting with the church. Meeting with the church. So what, what, what you see here with, with uh, Saul and Barnabas is their focus is discipleship. They're meeting with the church. You might think, well, they're going to go out and meet with all the townspeople and continue to do. No, they're, me, they're making sure that believers are being discipled in the faith. That's what they're making sure of. And, and they discipled a great number of people. And it shows us that those who are newer in the faith, if you're newer in the faith, maybe you've recently believed, haven't been a believer that, that long, you should allow yourself to be discipled. This is part of what it means to be a Christian. These, these people used to be pagans. They have so many pagan ways, a part of them. And, and now they're being discipled. So the leaders, the apostles, Saul, Saul, And Barnabas are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what we see here. This is an equipping ministry. They're equipping the people of Antioch. They're not going to be in Antioch forever. They're equipping them. And then they're going to leave. And then those people are going to go out and do ministry. And then Luke tells us, he makes this kind of blanket statement at the end of verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And that's when he tells us that this is the first time that believers were being referred to as Christians. And it was not a term of endearment, it was really meant as a derogatory term because it wasn't the believers themselves in Antioch calling themselves Christian, it was a term that was used by the outside. People, the people outside the church, and they were describing those inside the church. Now here's the question I want you to think about. Why did they need to create a new word? Why why did the people of Antioch, the the, the outsiders in Antioch, why did they need to create a new word for these people? Why is it a big deal that these outsiders even referred to these believers in Antioch as Christians? Why is that such a big deal? Why is Luke telling us this? Stay with me here because this is really the main idea of the entire text here that we're going through. The believers in Antioch were so different, so distinguished from the culture around them, that the citizens of Antioch had to create a new classification for them. That's what was happening. They, they haven't seen people like this before. So they, they, they didn't know how to refer to them. So they had to come up with something different. And, and, and they came up with this Christians attached, obviously, to Christ, to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, how were they different? How were they different? Let me break that down so we get it. The believers in Antioch were not like the religious Jews. They knew how the religious Jews were. They knew how the Pharisees acted. They knew how that Pharisaical approach was. They knew about Judaism and the law. These were not like the self-righteous Pharisees, these Christians. They were not like them. They seemed to believe in the same God, but they were different. The believers in Antioch also were not like the pagan Gentiles who were immersed in immorality wickedness they had they had allowed the society and the culture to basically become a part of their life and so these people realize they're not like them either these believers are are different they're not like the pagans they're not like the 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 pharisees and 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 the self-righteous uh people who are uh, holding to the law and and trying to hold the law over others these christians were different And they were so different, they needed a new name. Not self-righteous, but also not slaves to wickedness and pagan immorality. So do you see why they got this name? They got it because they understood what it means to be a true gospel witness in their culture. Which was not a righteous culture. And oh, how we need this distinction today in our world. Christians who are not legalistic, not self-righteous, not, not, not saying, here's, here's all the laws that I keep. Why don't you keep them exactly the same? But also we need Christians who are not seeking to compromise and capitulate to the pagan culture and society around us. And that's what we see happening. Our culture today is demanding, and I mean demanding everyone to bow the knee to their will and to their ways. And if you do not do so, if you don't do it, you'll be canceled, censored, shut out, shut down, demonized. And so much of that is happening against biblical principles. Things that are, that we're not coming up with, things that are coming out of what it means to be a Christian. Society is demanding total allegiance and we need Antioch Christians in America today. Because either either Jesus is king or society and culture is king. And Jesus is king. And we need Christians who are so different from the world around them that society says, I don't know how to, I don't know how to define you. You're not fitting this category or that category. We need to be those kinds of Christians, not combative, but not weak either. Strong and faithful, but selfless and compassionate. And that's. Only going to happen in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Antioch church was solid. This was a solid church. They were evangelizing the nations with diverse people. They didn't care about that. They didn't care about the different nations or the skin colors that were represented. They were caring about people and the gospel. They were discipling. They remained faithful to the scriptures and they weren't compromising to the pagan practices that were going on in that city. And Luke wants us to know they were first called Christians here. And then of all the things for Luke to tell us about, which I am sure that there were stories he could have told us. There's probably a great story of one of the pagan guys who turned from this terrible life of sin. And he could have probably spent a whole chapter on that, didn't tell us about that. There's things that God reveals through his word that he wants us to know. That's what we see here in verse 27 through 30. Uh, Luke tells us about compassionate and generous stewardship. Why? Because he wants us to know that because God wants us to know that. Luke tells us of Agabus who prophesies of a famine, which actually did happen. It's historical. This is again what makes the Bible so unique. You can look these things up. You can look these places up. It happened during the reign of Claudius in the years AD 45 through 46. Israel suffered very great uh, famine due to flooding that happened in Egypt. uh, There was flooding of the Nile. And that was considered the breadbasket of the world at that time. And so when the grain stopped there, it affected everybody. And so the church here, Luke's telling us, the church in Antioch receives an offering, sends it to the church in Jerusalem, and they send it with Barnabas and with Saul. They say, here, here, here we're going to give and, and, and take it back so that the, the, the famine that's going to affect and an, an impact Jerusalem, they'll, they'll have a means to, to get food. Notice verse 29, how each disciple gave. According to their ability is what the ESV says. And the New American Standard says in proportion to their means. That's because biblical giving is proportionate giving. This, and, and, and this is something that comes right out of the scripture. We are to give as believers in proportion to our income and means. As God gives you increase, your giving increases that that's just biblical. It's not, it's not my idea. It's biblical. That's biblical stewardship. And you're stewarding two things. You're not just stewarding what you give. You're stewarding what you keep. Before God, And these believers in Antioch did that. And they gave generously and sacrificially to the church in Jerusalem. They could have had a completely different view of that church, right? They could have been like, yeah, we heard about that church in Jerusalem. They don't like people like us. They're against people like us. They don't even, they're always against, you know, the people in Jerusalem hate the Gentiles. Why are we, a Gentile church, going to sacrifice our money, which they didn't have much to begin with, and send it back to Jerusalem? Why are we going to do that? Because God put it on their heart to do it. And so they did. They gave generously, sacrificially, and that, and, and Saul and, and Barnabas brought it back to Jerusalem, and the elders uh, and gave it to the elders in the Jerusalem church, and the elders of the ch- church then managed the distribution of the giving to those in need in the church. And as I was thinking about that, I was amazed at how similar that is to how we manage as a church our benevolence ministry. You all give to this ministry, and we, we put that, those funds aside, and we use it specifically to help people in our church, family, and in our community who have need. And it's very similar here. The same kind of, of, of system is set up. So this was not only an evangelizing church and a discipling church. It was a generous giving church. And Luke wants us to know that. That's why it's here for us to see that. Now we're going to pick up with the text uh, in chapter 12 next week. Because things start getting, uh, things, some, some bad stuff starts happening uh, to the church. We'll pick up with that uh, next week. But I want to give you two truths to think about. Truths that are sourced in the meaning of this text that we just went through. And the first one is this. And, and uh, it'll need some explanation. But God's purposes are corporate before they're individual. And when I say corporate, what I mean is it has more than just individuals in mind, more people. Corporate meaning a group of people. And Luke makes this so clear in this book. This theme keeps repeating. And we, and we need to make sure we don't miss it. Because we're living in a society today that makes everything about individual needs and individual feelings. And then what happens is we miss the big picture. Notice what God did in this text today. He started the first Gentile church and he did it with some unnamed guys from North Africa and Cyprus. The point is not necessarily what these guys are doing or even their names. The point is, this is what God is doing. That's what Luke's telling us. Luke's saying, believers, understand God is doing this. This is why last week Peter said, who am I to get in God's way? I'm not getting in, what, in the way of what God is doing. I don't want to be in that spot. So I want to encourage you, whatever, whatever God is doing in your life. And, for, and, and I talk with many of you, and many times when I'm talking with you, it's because there's difficulty and, and, and trial going on. And so I know that's happening. Remember, he has purposes and plans that are even bigger than you. And what we seek to do is to work with what he is doing. And we see that here coming out in this text. And second, which is, again, the main idea is Christians today need to differentiate themselves from all others for the sake of gospel witness. We need to do this more than ever in our culture today. What amazes me about our world and society today is how bold the world is with their plans and desires, no matter how wicked and unbiblical those plans and desires are. And they'll put it out on, uh, as they'll publicize it and put it out there and say, yep, this is what we're doing. This is how it's going to be. And whether you like it or you don't, doesn't matter to us. This is how we want to live. And we're just take it in. And what's so amazing about that is, is that we have a society today, and, and, it, and, and I say amazing in a bad way. It's not a good thing. But we have a society today that loves calling what is evil good. There's so much of that happening now, evil things. And then saying, this is good. And that is offensive to God. And then we have witnesses of the gospel who are afraid. So we're, they're bold. We're not, but we have the truth. We have the gospel and we have the hope that the world needs. And we need to differentiate ourselves from all others for the sake of gospel witness by the way we live and by our witness and being bold. First John two fifteen through 17 says, do not love the world. I'll put it up here on the screen for you to see. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Why is that? This is John the apostle writing. If anyone loves the world, there's something else not in you. The love of the father for all that is in the world the world what the world is offering the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes the pride of life this is what it's offering to you it's not from the father it's from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires what the world is offering to you it's 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 not going to last it's going gonna, it's gonna to go through your, your fingers. It's, it's just not going to last. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. These are the kind of Christians that we need in the world today. So if you have faithfully trusted in the saving grace of Jesus Christ, if you've done that for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are a believer. And going to our message today, you are a Christian. A name that was first given in Antioch to bold, courageous, evangelizing, discipling, generous Christians. Let us wear that name with boldness, with love, with compassion, but with strength and courage. Disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were the first, but they are not the last. We need to remember there were those who have come before us. And here we are more than 2,000 years later with that same gospel, with that same mission in a different context, may we be the Christians Christ has called us to be. That's my encouragement to you today from this text. Let's pray together. Would you you pray with me? Lord God, I pray for each and every person that is here. And I just want to say something to those of you that are... That with your heads bowed and eyes closed and as you're praying, if, if you're sensing or feeling like God is just, just working in your heart to the point of, of recognizing that there's some bold witness that is needed in you, I, I, just ask him to help you. He, just, just in your heart, just take this time to really say, Lord, I wanna be this kind of Christian that is committed to Christ, his truth and his word, not seeking the, the, the pleasing of, of, of society and culture around us, but to be these kinds of, of believers. Ask God to do that work in you. Lord God, we thank you that you hear these prayers and I pray that you would answer them as those uh, continue to seek you for this kind of work in their heart and in their life. Help us to be the kind of Christians you've called us to be in the world that we're living in, right here in the back mountain, the Wyoming Valley, where we are, Lord. Help us to live the kind of lives you've called us to live. We thank you, we praise you. We give you the glory in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs)